Ok, let's get started. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, dear listeners. I've got the pleasure to have with me um, a PhD student from the University of Sheffield, Stephen Aderinto. I met Stephen uh, probably four years ago, three or four years ago now, when he was uh, just starting his PhD. And we met during an induction and we had some very interesting discussion. Welcome on the podcast, Stephen. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Sandrine. I'm happy to be here with you on this podcast. So, Stephen, you've started a PhD uh, in a UK university, but can you tell us a little bit about where you're coming from and how you got interested into science? Oh, thank you so much for that question. I don't think there is any special motivation for me, you know, getting into science other than the fact that I sensed a strong sense of aptitude for science subjects, especially uh, chemistry, physics, and biology. I discovered that quite early in the course of my secondary school education, and uh, most especially uh, chemistry. And that, I think, was the sole motivation for me to have uh, chatted because of wanting to do science as a career. There is nothing, so to speak, of any motivation in my immediate environment because science is not, you know, very popularized in Africa. Okay, that's interesting because often people talk about, you know, specific uh, experiences that they had, you know, as you know, through a teacher or through the environment. So as a, as, as a researcher coming from Nigeria, making the decision to come and study for a PhD in the, uh, in the UK is not something that's so straightforward. At the end of your degree, you know, in Nigeria, what made you want to come to the UK? And, and also, wh what was your approach to actually get a PhD in the UK? Because it's, uh, it's probably a, a challenging process to make this happen. I think everybody's uh, trajectory is very unique, and so it is in my own uh, specific case. I really did, didn't want to come to the UK particularly. The only thing I was uh, concerned about was to do a PhD in a very good institution, you know, in terms of uh, strength of research and, uh, you know, academic, things like that. I was not so very particular about wanting to come to the UK. The only thing I did was to sort of look for, you know, a number of places where I think they have good, uh, strong research capacity. And, you know, by a twist of fate, I eventually got an opportunity here in the UK. And I think I got a couple of opportunities also, you know, somewhere in, in Australia and then in Italy. And then when I looked at the, the various opportunities, I sort of went for, you know, the best one from my own judgment and upon the advice of one of my Chinese uh, teachers then. So there was nothing really particular about, you know, UK itself other than the institution in which, you know, I want to conduct the PhD itself. 
So you want it to be in a place of excellence, but you know there are many such places you know in the world. So how did you go about choosing the type of project or the type of you know field of of chemistry to to work in? Because you know there is a, there are so many possible projects and so many possible institutions to to work. Yeah, thanks to the fact that I had a very uh, clear sense of uh, what. I wanted to do immediately after I graduate, you know, from my master's degree program, uh, which I did in China. I started searching for uh, PhD opportunities, you know, in various countries of the world about nine months before I finished from my MSc degree program. And there was this interesting website I stumbled upon, uh, findaphd.com. And I saw like various list of interesting PhD, you know, research topics. And there was one, you know, out of these many lists that actually resonates strongly with me and which actually matches with my, shall I say, research experience background, which is, you know, uh, like DNA research, construction of probes, sensors, things like that. So I saw this amazing opportunity and immediately I decided to contact the BI, the uh, principal investigator, who now happens to be my present supervisor. So he got interested in me because he could sort of see my enthusiasm and also like robust academic profile. And he was like, oh yeah, he's willing to accept me into his group, I should go ahead and submit an application for both admission and scholarship and we'll see how best, you know, he can support me. And Stephen, can I ask you, why, why did it matter to you so much to do a PhD? Because, to be honest, I like science, you know, as a field, as a career, you know. I actually enjoy doing anything science. That has been a passion, you know, right from when I was in secondary school. And I was like, it might be good, you know, interesting to sort of chart a course along that path, you know, towards becoming, you know, having the goal of becoming a scientist in the future. And I think a PhD is like the minimal requirement for one to actually start, you know, a position in the academia. So to me, I see uh, like a PhD as a tool, as a tool, because I actually need it to fulfill that ambition of uh, becoming a scientist in the long run. Mm. One of the things that you mentioned earlier is that you actually did a master's degree in China. So yes. doing you know master's degree in China, a PhD in the UK, I mean, both of these experiences represent incredibly challenging cultural context where you have to adapt, you know, coming from, you know, from Nigeria and ad adapting to very different countries' culture, but also professional culture, which, you know, I'm sure are different from your country. Mm -hmm. what, what have you learned in that process of, uh, of adapting to a very different context? Uh, yeah, that's a very uh, wonderful, uh, wonderful question. You know, I become a more globalized person in terms of thinking, in terms of interacting with people. And I think I don't really uh, feel uh, like being boxed, you know, 
I I tend to now being able to interact with people from other cultures, you know, easily. And even though the 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 contest in China and even in the UK are like maybe widely different, but I've been able to to fit into any culture, any society, you know, with you know the greatest ease. And that has sort of shaped my mentality, you know, to be able to be flexible in approaching issues, whether, you know, it is even science or even something non-sciencey. So I've been able to interact with people from diverse cultures, see how people think, you know, whether it is, you know, it relates to science or even something completely outside of science. So that has sort of shaped my uh, personality, because I can now see how even science has been done in different environment and how best I can approach even my science in a particular environment. Even though there have been cultural shocks, you know, here and there, and one requires a very great sense of flexibility to be able to cope in different cultural scientific contexts. But I think I, I feel like a global person now because I've been able to be in different environments and that has so, sort of shaped my thinking, you know, to be a better person, a better scientist. Mm, that's really interesting. I mean, it can't have been, you know, as easy as maybe just doing a PhD in your own country. What's been really, really challenging, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking this question in the context of, maybe getting people to be aware of some of these challenges when they're receiving PhD students from, from abroad. What's been really challenging in being a foreigner and, and working in a, you know, in a country as somebody from the outside, what sort of challenges have you really faced that maybe people need to really pay attention to when they are recruiting PhD students or postdoctoral researchers from, from overseas? Well, I think uh, the biggest thing is for uh, PEIs to be able to accept the students as being equally as excellent, you know, as the native uh, student. And I won't blame, you know, like any PEI because, yeah, a student is coming from a totally different, you know, climb. And it's very difficult to actually ascertain if this student would eventually go on to do a very wonderful uh, PhD research. So I think there is always that panic as to whether a student is good, a foreign student is good or not. But I think if uh, PIs can deal with those sort of uh, biases and just accept the student in good faith and just sort of give them you know, the benefit of the doubt, you know, I, I think that will help uh, like the students a lot, and just just for the PIs to see them as you know, if they merit the admission, you know, for instance, and they merit the scholarship, you know, just like let them be and let them prove themselves in the course of, uh, of the research. You know, that we get to be proven by the time the students now do excellent research, you know, pieces of research work that we come to realize that, oh, I've actually made, you know, the best decision. But there is that sort of bias, you know, like in the beginning as to whether the student is going to do a good PhD, a great PhD in the long run or not. Yeah. 
that's the only thing I think I, I suspect, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's a very fair point, and 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 it's true that uh, you know when when you're used to the uh, to the university courses that are in one country, have, having a sense of the academic excellence of uh, of a bachelor or master student coming from somewhere else, it's hard to assess. But in a way, if you're prepared to explore uh, actually what these people have got to bring and and get you know, get this potential candidate on an equal footing with anybody else from, from the UK and, and kind of pushing away these biases that you, that you may have in terms of the, the academic excellence. It's a really critical point in starting a relationship with a potential a PhD student from a, from a point of, uh, you know, equity and openness and, uh, in, instead of having a sense that people may not be that, that good because they're coming from, from abroad, that's really, really important. So you're coming to the end of your PhD. What, what are you now motivated to do, you know, in, you know, in a year's time when you finish your, your PhD? I think I've settled that even, you know, way long before I started my PhD. I know I'm going to be a scientist in the future. And this PhD is just sort of a tool, you know, in my hand to to bring that dream into reality. And basically what I would do after the PhD is to, you know, seek for the like, research position, you know, like maybe in a uni or in, a, in an institute, a research institute to, you know, continue doing my science, broaden my horizon on more uh, technical skills Maybe that might be in the form of a postdoc, you know, position. That might be in the form of maybe even a lectureship. Anything like that that will sort of propel me further in the journey of becoming a scientist. And I think in the West, people typically go on to land uh, a postdoc position. But I think there are more opportunities in Africa, to be honest, to land, you know, a lectureship position. But I'm still not like things have not been set in stone as to, you know, whether we are we carry on in the West or go back to Africa. I'm still sort of, you know, contemplating what to do. Mm. No, these are these are really hard decisions. And I mean, in your case, what is your your goal in terms of you know being an African researcher in terms of you know the way that you may want to contribute to science and research and the educational dimension of getting people to to see science differently, you know, in your country? Yes, yes, yes. I think everything I eventually you know turn out to become as a scientist will impart uh, very strongly on on Africa, you know, the uh, on the science in Africa. And that's what um, I'm doing basically to also sort of understand, you know, the issues back home. And if there is, you know, a way I would like to contribute, you know, very strongly, I think it will sort of, First, be in the form of like uh, radicalizing people's thinking, you know, as to why we need to build science in Africa. I think many people have not really Africa has not really got into that stage, you know, on understanding, you know, you know why science is actually really important because it's not really something very popular. We are surrounded, for instance, in Africa by 
by realities of religion, you know, and people have not really gotten to that understanding yet. So the first thing I think would be to first radicalize people's thinking as to why we need uh, serious science in Africa. And then I think it would be good to provide mentorship for the you know coming generation of uh, youngster, youngsters, and to also sort of spur their interest on to wanting to do science. I realized that uh, is very it's been very difficult for me, for instance, to meet like uh, Africans that are like deeply interested in science, you know, as I am. It's very difficult. You find people, many people just want to do something, music, something entertainment, you know, just get quick money. But it's very difficult for you to even like meet people who are really, really interested in science. So I think mentorship also be good to sort of open people's eyes, you know, as to why we would need to build a capacity in terms of people wanting to, you know, go into that, you know, you know throw that part of uh, science. And also to maybe work closely with, you know, government, you know, like officials to sort of be in a position to advise or influence a decision in terms of science, you know, what the government is making in terms of, you know, developing science. I think that also would be good because as the situation is now, there are no real infrastructures to sort of do quality science in Africa and that springs from the you know the part of the government it's not really doing something encouraging in that sense there is no you know like meaningful funding coming from the part of the government to sort of even like see up up people's interest so i think there are actually many things to do but whether we go back to africa in you know in the immediate i don't think that's going to be a possibility because i think i've not come to 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 develop myself enough to be in a position to influence some, you know, decision. And I think uh, it's, it might be good for me to spend some more time, you know, in the West, keep getting experiences here and there. And then I can think of going back to Africa, maybe in the next 10, 15, 20 years, you know, then I think I can do something, contribute something significant to the system. It's interesting because in a way, it's one of the dilemma, seeing your contribution in terms of, you know, the, the broader impact that you may make, you know, on science in your country and also the satisfaction of your own career, you know, as a scientist, because obviously the, 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 the amount of funding to the research in, is very limited in Nigeria, I suppose. And the type, the type of research and the type of experiments that you, you have the potential to do in Western countries is much broader. So how do you kind of reconcile this tension between, you know, the desire to do great science for yourself, for your career, and, and even financially? If you're thinking at an individual level, you have the potential to have a very successful career overseas, being a postdoc, a fellow, and so on. And and at the same time, still the desire to want to contribute to your to your country, and you know it's 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 almost putting people in different direction and making decision on knowing what's the right thing for your country for yourself. These are really really hard choices. Yeah, they are. I yeah, I think it's quite you know dicey. What I think 
I can do probably in the meantime is to sort of maybe seek uh, like a part-time, you know, like a research position back home. I know a couple of people who do that. They they are like maybe academics, you know, here in the UK or you know wherever in the in the Western uh, system, and they also have part-time jobs with institution, you know, or in, in institutions in, in various African uh, countries. Like I know people who sort of travel every now and then to institutions back home to sort of give back even though they are academics here, maybe in the UK or in the US or wherever in the Western system. And actually very recently, I've been thinking along that line, maybe it's something I might eventually want to consider doing. There are universities that actually need, you know, people's expertise. And if uh, Africans in the diaspora can sort of look back and see what, even in the meantime, what minimal contribution you can they can do, you know, to better the system back home, I think that would be you know, very encouraging. So I'm thinking of maybe also contacting a few schools for, you know, maybe open positions in their faculties or department and see what I can sort of do, maybe like a sort of, is it adjunct, you know, lectureship, yeah, something, yeah, yeah. something like that, you know. And it's something I've been considering very recently. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting point in a way, being able to, you know, have a, a still a research position, you know, in the West where you can do the type of experiments that you're interested in doing. And at the same time, find a way of still contributing to reshaping the, or shaping the research system in your country. That, that sounds like an interesting approach to explore. You remember some previous conversation that we had Uh, when, when we first met, where I had often concerns about the topics that are offered to PhD students uh, coming yeah. from Africa who come to, you know, to the UK and work on research topics that are of interest of the supervisor of the PI, you know, in the yeah. West, but are not necessarily topics that mm -hmm. will, will be of broader interest in the country where these people are coming from. And I always felt, I don't know, a, a sort of tension that maybe, you know, supervisor ought to consider the, the dimension of the type of research that is needed in this country or the type of research that, you know, a student will be able to carry on or expand that is of use or, or can actually happen in, in, their, in their country. And I don't know whether there is, you know, I don't know what the solution is, but in your experience, what, what's really the landscape to actually do research in Nigeria? Well, like from, you know, casual discussions with you know, researchers back home, I think sometimes it can be, you know, very frustrating to be a scientist back in Africa because the, the support system is not just there. In terms of research infrastructure, the equipment you need to conduct quality research, they are not really there and many people are getting frustrated. Many people are even tending to, you know, like get out of the country to go to a better system, so to speak, where they can fulfill their research ambitions. But on the flip side, I know of people who are also surviving, but the majority of those who are survivors are people who have collaboration with, you know, really like friends, you know, scientist friends 
in the West or in other parts of the world, at least through that, they can get access to, to funding. But I don't know of someone who is just by himself or herself in Africa without any sort of affiliation to universities abroad, you know, connection with academics, researchers abroad that can say is doing something very, very significant because the the environment is not just supportive. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's been very frustrating for the bulk of them. And although there are like people here and there trying to do, you know, quality research, but by the time you come to analyze such people, you realize that they are actually the ones that have collaborations with mm. researchers abroad. I don't think there are enough indigenous funding bodies in Africa, other than maybe very recently, the African uh, Academy of uh, Sciences. But outside of that, I don't think there are well many funding bodies that can sort of support research back home. So it's been very, very frustrating for for many researchers back home and even very recently there was you know a situation in nigeria uh, like doctors are just getting out of the country you know and mass to other countries just to sort of seek you know better professional environment so that has been the the challenge so far yeah no that's certain what do you think is really critical the, for supervisors of PhD student, either from the global south or from Africa, you know, what is it that they really need to do to help this PhD student be really prepared to the realities of the context that they may go back to? Oh, yeah, that was a very, very, you know, brilliant question. I remember the first time I, you know, I went to my supervisor's office, I told him of my, my reality, you know, and thank goodness that he also understand the situation of things. He's been to Kenya before, you know, that was many years ago, and he actually understand what is going on. So from, right from that very first day, he decided to give me his uh, Maxima uh, support. And along the, you know, the journey, I realized that he's been very, very supportive in terms of publication. I think I've had one publication already together with other colleagues. And now even we are thinking of another publication, which is going to be my first, first author, you know, publication from my PhD work. So like if there can be, you know, there could be some support in terms of publication and also support for uh, like winning awards, winning grants, fellowships, things like that, that can sort of boost the student's uh, academic profile, you know, academic and you know, maybe now research profile, that would really, really help. Because now you realize that even as a student from the you know, so-called global south, you realize that you're actually competing even with colleagues you know, from other parts of the world. And for you to be able to be able to secure some of this funding, you have to have you know, robust academic and research profile which is very difficult to build, you know, if one does not have a very supportive uh, supervisor. I think what many supervisors need to do is to actually understand the situations of the students, you know, from Global South better and to see how best they can sort of support them in terms of publication, support for grant application, fellowships, you know, things like that. These are, you know, things that have 
I personally have enjoyed along the line. I think that this idea of getting the supervisor to really understand the context where the student is coming from, I think is really key because you may have a supervisor who is very supportive of you know, all of their students and may provide what they feel is the same type of support for everyone. But I mean, I don't know, for me, kind of getting a supervisor to really consider the specificity of a researcher coming from the global south and what's the context of research in the country that the student is coming from and using that as an element to inform maybe the, the approach that they have to supervising or or creating opportunities that maybe seems seems less relevant to others, but that for that overseas researcher is absolutely key. And, and one that you mentioned is access to funding, because I guess for a PhD student who is already funded maybe by a research council in the UK, accessing independent funding maybe is less critical during the course of you know, their PhD. It's something that they may want to get during their postdoc, but maybe for a global South researcher, an African researcher, maybe the, these opportunities are even more important. I don't know. This is a really hard part of supervising and knowing what is really the, the added thing that is necessary. Yes, yes. I think yeah, it's very difficult for a supervisor to understand the specific needs you know, of a student from uh, the Global South, except there is that you know, deliberate open conversation between the PI and the student you know, himself or herself. And I think students just need to be very sincere and open about their specific situations. I remember quite, you know, some time ago, you know, one of my colleagues was discussing with my supervisor, oh, I want to submit this application. I want to do this, this, and that, you know. And I you know, just sort of eavesdrop what they were saying. And it was then that it dawned on me that you also just need to be assertive, you know, in terms of what to, to voice out what you actually need from your PI, because many of these people are busy, you know, with many things. And you might think, is only your case they have in their head, which may not be the reality. I think the student just need to be very open, communicative, and you know, assertive in requesting for what he or she thinks it needs from the supervisor to sort of up, you know, his or her situation. So that's what I've been like doing over the course of my PhD. Once I sense that I need to go for this opportunity or that opportunity, I make sure I discuss with my supervisor and. You know, to my surprise, he has always been giving me his very best support. I don't think any like good supervisor would not want to support, you know, like their students. I don't think. But although we have some, you know, like real cases, you know, where a supervisor may not be very supportive, but I don't I think that's the exception rather than the norm. So the student just need to be very open and communicative. Communicative. Let this PI know, you know, their very specific needs, and then things can be taken from there. So d- during the course of your PhD, you you will have had you know lots of different experiences. But 
if you're reflecting on all the experiences that you've had, whether it's professional or in terms of your, your experience of science, what, what do you think has been the most significant in, in the way that maybe now it's, it's shaped the way that you're thinking about science or the way you're thinking about yourself as a, as a scientist, as a, as a research professional? I like so much like that sense of freedom to be able to, you know, like confront a scientific uh, problem by myself, although, you know, under the supervision of my, of my boss. I so much like that sense of, you know, just being free to deal with a particular scientific problem, you know, under the guidance of a more experienced researcher. I think that for me has been very, very memorable. I get to like design experiment myself, get to seek how best I can, you know, tackle the problems and, you know, like come up with, you know, methodologies and then eventually results. So that has been very, very memorable, like, you know, inspiring for me personally. I don't get to be told what to do, you know, per se. I get to develop that sense of independence as a researcher. I just like that rhythm of working. It's, it strongly resonates with my personality because I like to figure way out to do things. So I so much like that as a PhD student who is tending, you know, towards becoming a more independent uh, researcher. So I've been given that freedom. For instance, nobody needs to tell me, oh, you must be in the lab by this particular time or you must leave the lab by this particular time. I get to sometimes even do the bulk of my reading at home. And then I go to the lab, you know, to experiment things, you know, and see how things would it would work out in the lab. So I so much like that, like freedom that is given to researchers. Nobody tells you really what you need to do. You, you, you'll be creative by yourself. So it helps my, my person, you know, as a scientist. And also because I think I have a very, you know, like understanding supervisor, I've been able to also dabble into many things, even in the course of my uh, PhD research. For instance, I've been able to take on leadership uh, roles, responsibilities within, for instance, an international chemistry organization, uh, in, uh, which is International Younger Chemist Network. So I've been given that freedom to also develop my leadership skills, you know, which not so many PhD, stud uh, PhD students get to, to own in the course of their PhD research. I've done many other things, like even including science communication. I've been able to communicate science to like uh, secondary school PPC here in the UK, you know, and, you know, even just getting a job outside of the uni, you know, doing, doing something totally, you know, not related to, to science, like even going to maybe chef. I've been able to lay my hands on many things that, you know, that relates to science or even things that are act like totally tangential to science itself. So I, I so much like that sense of freedom to explore. And then after the old PhD experience itself, I can then sit down and you know pinpoint the, the, the very maybe top things, top three things I actually want to do afterwards. I realized that many students just get to do research, research and research alone, you know, and they don't broaden their horizon, they don't broaden their skill, they don't tend to even do anything other than just being in the lab 24, you know, 7, 
which I don't think eventually would go on to make uh, a good researcher. So I guess the you know the PhD period is should be this period of exploration and. Um, you know, what you're saying is that, you know, exploring beyond the confine of the PhD as well, in terms of all the professional experiences that you have or the volunteering experiences are all part of building you as, as a person as a, and as a professional. When I was still working at the University of Sheffield, uh, some of the conversation that, that we had when, when we first met was about how can UK institution create an environment and create opportunities for researchers from the global south to be better prepared to the context that they're going back to. And when, you know, when I still worked at Sheffield, you know, one of the things that uh, we, we were trying to do together was initiate this, uh, this network of, of researchers from the global south. And that, that was our way of, of, of trying to do something about it. But what do you think that needs to continue in, in that area so that researchers who come to the UK or to other Western countries, the experience that they have is really enriched in a way that is really based on their context of you know, what it's going to be like when they go back home? What, what is it that isn't done yet or what is it that needs to be done more so that people are really, really well prepared to, to tackle the, you know, the massive challenges of being researchers in a global South country. Yeah, I think everything should be, you know, uh, intentional and structured uh, uh, in terms of providing, you know, like uh, answers to the questions a student from the global South might have, you know, meeting their specific needs. And that might be done by, you know, going through the maybe the student uh, union and expressing their, you know, their their feelings. What in terms of what they think they need, you know, to better support them, you know, in the course of their research. Even while in the UK, they are, they might want to form perhaps a community. I know of schools like uh, you know Harvard. Like there, they have like association of black, uh, you know, doctoral and postdoctoral uh, students, something like that, to sort of better support black researchers. And I think such wisdom from such initiative can actually be borrowed, you know, and actually be adopted, you know, into this very instance. So they might want to do something like that, speak to maybe you know their student union, you know, like and tender, you know, their needs for maybe a community of students from the global south to be formed, you know, having regular meetings, you know, discussions, things like that, on how they might get better supported. Things like that will really, really help. And this, of course, could be done, especially by the, the more experienced students, you know, students that have been in the system for, for maybe a number of years, maybe a student in their second, third, or fourth year, you know, they can put such an initiative in place so that the future generation of students from the global south can profit, you know, by uh, from the thing. So there might there might be that need to be to be more deliberate, you know, in terms of wanting that to be done. 
So if you're thinking about, you know, maybe master student, you know, in Nigeria and, and other uh, African country, what sort of uh, advice would you give them to be well prepared to, you know, to go abroad and, and do a PhD? If you were going to give them some advice about ways of thinking about this experience of the PhD abroad or ways of approaching Uh, creating the opportunities to do a PhD abroad. What 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 would you tell them? Yeah, so uh, basically, you know, is for them to first commit themselves to excellence. You know, I think excellence is you know a ticket to getting any of these opportunities wherever in the world. Let them keep committing themselves to to excellence, and also let them have a very clear sense of what they actually like made from the phd itself because it's one thing to be to be bright academically is another thing to actually be motivated passionate about you know, the phd you know research itself so let them know what exactly they want to you know use the phd for because as i said initially i actually see this phd as a tool as a tool you know of me realizing my ambition of becoming a scientist in the future So let them know specifically what you know, actually they want to use the PhD for, not just you know romancing the idea of oh, traveling abroad, even though you know many people want to to do so. So let them have that clear sense, and also they should choose a research topic that is global, you know, in its application, in its uh, impact. Let them choose a topic that is very global, you know, that can fit into any context in the world because they have, there is this issue of you never actually know where you are actually going to settle down in. So you must do a topic, a research topic that is needed in any environment, be it in the UK, you know, in Africa, in the US, in Canada, you know, anywhere. Like for instance, the PhD topic I'm doing, I think is, is globally relevant now. You know, I'm working on cancer research and cancer is now the second largest cause, you know, of death worldwide. So anywhere in the world, you know, there is increasing cases of cancer, death, and that makes uh, the research itself, you know, well received in any context. So they might want to look into, into those things and, you know, I think the rest of it, you know, will follow. Mm. That's really important is, you know, yes, create, you know, choosing a topic that, that opens, uh, that opens other door instead of clo closing them. Um, one of my, my last questions, Stephen, if you reflect on all the choices that you've made, you know, in your career so far, if you had to start again, um, Would you do something differently? Would you, you know, make different decisions? If you had the wisdom that you now have in terms of your choices, what, what, what would you do? Um, well, to be honest, I don't know if I would want to do anything different because at every step of the journey, I think I've always have good markers of, of the decisions I made. You know, things I look into before making, you know, a particular decision, for instance. But I think maybe I would have enjoyed myself more and, you know, just take take things as, you know, as they come. Because I think I've been very, like, strongly focused on the science itself. And I would 
And now I would now want to you know explore even more outside of you know the science itself. You know, I know science it's is like very consuming and like time consuming, but I would like even want to explore you know more you know, about other things because this I re- come to realize that is actually for a lifetime. You know, and like the scientific career itself, and I would want to like explore many other things along the way. Not just just you know strongly focused solely on the science itself, you know. Yeah, and giving yourself permission to do other things, but because they are also fueling, uh, you know, our joy and our energy is uh, you know is is important, and it's the, the the balance is is always hard to create. Yeah, it's very very hard actually, and especially this uh, during these COVID times. Is very is very like very demanding because you want to produce you know some quality work. At the same time, you find it's like difficult to like balance other things, you know, because the life of a scientist is just very sacrificial. You know, you are looking for solutions, you know, for for humanity, and so sometimes you just have to pour the all of yourself into what you're doing. It's, for instance, it's not very easy to come, you know, buy like cancer drugs. These things we do in the lab, they are very, very difficult. So sometimes you never actually can tell if, <laughs> you know, you are like, you know, you are not doing the wrong thing. But then how best can you, you know, do things differently? Sometimes it's quite challenging. Mm. So, um Stephen, we, we're reaching the end of our conversation and um, I'm really appreciative of, of you taking the, the time to talk to me. Is there a question that, that I haven't asked that you feel is something that you really would like to share with, you know, with other researchers from the experiences that you've had so far? Yeah, yeah. Maybe, you know, there is this, you know, like popular question I get, you know, to be asked which is uh, what is my experience as a black student, you know, in the West. <laughs> like people just want to get that sense of being a black student, you know, working in a society that is predominantly white to see how my experience so far has been. If I should answer that question, I think it's been wonderful, you know, like all the way long. I think it really has to do with your composure, your, 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 your expression of yourself. Many people have not really interacted with black students, especially black African students before. Yeah. And you might want to change their, their maybe wrong perception that they have long conceived by, you know, you you showing up yourself as, you know, a, a bright, you know, mentally bright person as well. You know, let them know what you are capable of doing. Let them know that, yeah, for you to have been admitted, you must be a bright student. So always show them your 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 good side, sell yourself more. And then people we you know tend to gradually change their wrong perception, you know, of maybe black students, whether you know, black Americans, black British or, or black Africans, anything, you know, and yeah, just be assertive, you know. If you are admitted, you are in the system. It means you are actually excellent to them. And along the line, you get to meet trusted people. You realize that actually it's all just based on biases and wrong perceptions. And actually, there is nothing more to it. You know, over the course of, of, of the years of my PhD, 
I've come to meet many amazing friends, even the like white British, black British, and you know the likes. I realized that it's just all in the head. <laughs> there is nothing actually more to it. But you can change people's perception, you know, of the black race mm-hmm. by you you showing up the the wisdom, the genius in you. And that's a really lovely word to finish on. I think that, uh, you know, for many uh, supervisors and for the, the research system, also becoming very mindful of how we interact with others and giving people a space to be who they are in the way that they are as well and working hard on, you know, fighting, you know, the assumption that maybe we are all making in one way or, or another on other people. Well, Stephen, it's really, really lovely talking to you. I know that you know you're in the last stretch of your of your PhD, so I wish you really the very best in the final experimental work and the, the final collaboration that you will have, and also best of luck in uh, choosing the next step in your career, which uh, I'm sure will be you know very exciting and and successful. Yeah, thanks so much, Dr. Sandrin, for having me on this podcast. And I think it's been very, very interesting speaking to you. Thank you. Thank you.